Hello, church. Our scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he saw him and took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The Good Samaritan. Many of us are familiar with this passage, or even just the same. It is a part of our culture and is being used in all avenues of media and entertainment. So we can feel comfortable or even oversaturated with this verse. So I challenge us today to hear this as if we are coming to it for the first time. And so with it, the questions arise. What made this Samaritan so good? And are we living up to the power that is in this commonly heard message? Or do we dismiss it with familiarity? See, our neighbor in the passage who has been left half dead on the road, it was seen that his best chance for recovery were with the priest and the Levite, men who were called to follow God and look after their fellow Jews. But it was the Samaritan who showed the man mercy. During this time, the Jews and Samaritans were not friendly neighbors. The Jews viewed them as unclean and unvoided the Samaritans. There was a mutual dislike or even hatred for one another. Enough to where you would not expect either to go out of their way to help the other. But the presumed enemy of the man is the one who stops. B. 
being moved by pity and love, the Samaritan is transformed into the good Samaritan. Something I love about our passage today is how directly it is laid out. Even though Jesus speaks in a parable, we do not have to wait for the answer. Jesus has asked a question, gives an example to explain the answer, and it comes across straightforward. So what is the answer to who is our neighbor? Well, the lawyer tells us it is the one who showed him mercy when speaking of the Samaritan man. We see the neighbor is the one who gave up his comfort, his cleanliness, his time and financial resources to help him who is in need. By showing his love through actions to his opponent. Now Jesus' approach to who our neighbor is challenges the Israelites' notion. Changing it from just loving their fellow Israelites to loving all people. This is a shift that came from a long understood view of who the, G- who the Jews were to care for. It is hard for them and it is hard for us to accept and enact some 2,000 years later. Mercy and love is what turned the Samaritan into the good Samaritan. Being humble and self-sacrificing in his love. Human Relations Day calls on us to recognize we are all God's children. By realizing the potential of all human beings is the same in all people. That they have intrinsic worth valued by God and by God's followers, a.k.a. Christians. And it is helping and expand our own vision beyond our own families and friends. Now Dr. King was a member of the Fellowship of Reconciliation. And when, uh, when he was there, he heard and then popularized the term beloved community. See, this fellowship of reconciliation had a big impact on Dr. King in teaching and training him in nonviolent solutions and pacifism. Dr. King then goes on to define a beloved community as one that is based on justice, equal opportunity, and the love of one's fellow human beings. And this became a key theme in many of Dr. King's speeches and writings and vision. For you see, Dr. King's vision for a beloved community was not a lofty, idealistic utopia, but the attainable end for the civil rights reform. This belief in the beloved community is grounded in Scripture. And we see Dr. King directly point to the white church. To the white church to take their role in reconciliation. And we see it in his letter from the Birmingham jail. I'm going to read to you a short quote from Dr. King's letter. But I encourage you, if you have never read it, to do so yourself so you can fully grasp what it's calling us to do. Dr. King says, I had hoped that the white, the white moderate would see this need. Perhaps I was too optimistic. 
Perhaps I expected too much. I suppose I should have realized that few members of the oppressor race can understand the deep groans and passionate yearnings of the oppressed race. And still fewer had the vision to see that injustice must be rooted out by strong, persistent, and determined action. I am thankful, however, that some of our white brothers in the South have grasped the meaning of this social revolution and committed themselves to it. They are still all too few in quantity, but they are big in quality. Unlike so many of their moderate brothers and sisters, they have recognized the urgency of the moment and sensed the need for powerful action, antidotes to combat the disease of segregation. Dr. King believed that nonviolence would prevail and justice would be justice for all. And the belief that when enough of us are focused on solving the conflict through seeking redemption and peace over retaliation, then we can break the cycle of violence and oppression. But this does not avoid the conflict. Instead, it gives us a direct path to confront it and to do so with nonviolence. Today, we cannot ignore our problems or our conflicts. They can no longer be swept under the rug or accepted as normal. For example, saying, I don't see color. That is just avoiding the whole conflict and ignoring the hurt and the oppression of our siblings in Christ. Ignorance is not bliss. And we cannot afford to be ignorant for our siblings' sake, nor our own. Dr. King also said, We shall not in the process relinquish our privilege and our obligation not to love. While abhorring the segregation, we shall love the segregationist. This is the only way to create beloved community. So how do we, as the church, continue to make strides to be the beloved community made up of good Samaritans? Well, it starts, it starts with embracing a different mindset. It starts by embracing love and this mindset around nonviolent solutions to conflict. And now our neighbors in many of our minds is who lives next to us. You know, our next door neighbor. But then we can take it even further and say that Mexico is our neighbor to the south and Canada our neighbor to the north. And in our passage, we see Jesus expanding what it means to be a neighbor. And when asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus answered in the Gospel of Mark with, first, to love the Lord, and second, to love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> Where does this love come from? This love that gives us the energy and ability 
to love and be good neighbors in this beloved community. We only know love because God is love and has showed us first. You see, through the creation of humans, the fall of man and the work of redemption by Jesus for us, and then through the work of the Holy Spirit, the power in which it empowers us to work and do the work of loving our neighbors. This is how we know love as an action and not just a feeling. There's a reason the first commandment the lawyer and Jesus say is to love the Lord. Because it is the most important commandment. And it is where all love flows from. And now you may think, loving your neighbor or the beloved community is fine and dandy idea, Pastor Forrest. But people have hurt me. They have invaded my privacy, lost my trust. How in the world am I supposed to love them or even seek peace or reconciliation? Let's explore this as we imagine together. Imagine you were attending worship in the sanctuary today. And you come home from church by yourself. You open up the front door to your home to find a friend from your neighborhood and a stranger in your home. Not just in your home, but in your room. Having broken in, you see that they are carrying you and your family's belongings. Now you have a very short but very awkward conversation as they flee from your home. Those feelings of being invaded, hurt, confused, heartbroken, and having your trust broken would be overwhelming as you go to call the police. Soon your neighborhood friend is charged, causing your relationship with their family and their uh, siblings that you are also friends with to become complicated and stressed. And now months later you find yourself in court having to speak against your friend, knowing that this was going to impact them for the rest of their life. But you don't feel justice and mercy are done for them. And after losing friends and sleep over this, all you want to do is say, I forgive you. See, as the Samaritan did, you take pity on them. Wanting to show them love in the darkest of circumstances. That what they did hurt you, but nothing comes, to, comes between God's love and forgiveness that lives within you. And you truly want to see them heal and to grow past this. Friends. This example is a real one because it is a part of my story. It took place when I was 17 years old, and I remember the hurt I felt towards my friend. But I also remember the intense feeling of love and how badly I wanted to say, I forgive you to his face. 
when we are called by God to love our neighbors, it is not just those that we like, but it is those that we don't know that hurt us or abandon us. No, they do not deserve it. Much as we do not deserve to be saved, but we are. And we are due to God and God's grace alone. It does not matter the tone of their skin, their background, their ethnicity, their age, or any other construct. What matters is our relationship with God and our call by God that is lived out as we love others. Now church, we are living through a civil rights movement now. In fact, it is the same movement that was happening when Dr. King was helping lead the charge in the 50s and 60s. You see, that movement never ended, for the oppression did not end. Some parts did, improvements were made, but the end goal of a beloved community is still, in, still to be grasped. In this time of marches and media attention, it should not be the only time that we in the church act for justice and peace. And from Dr. King, there are five ways to start change, to become a beloved community that embraces nonviolence and seeks redemption and reconciliation. And we at St. Stephen's are still active during this pandemic with our groups meeting regularly to learn and act upon these. So I encourage you to hear these five ways of change and how we can apply them and continue with what is happening at St. Stephen's to seek justice and reconciliation. Step one. Is called information gathering and education. You see, here at St. Stephen's, we have a racial justice group along with our church and society group that gather resources for the church to use. One in which is starting on January 24th and 25th. It's on the roots of racism in Virginia. And you can also join us for our racial justice movie nights or other discussion groups that help us expand from our previous viewpoints and learn together. The next is personal commitment. The promise to yourself and God that this work is not just a phase. That it is an intentional decision to walk the harder path of forgiveness, patience, and reconciliation. To desire and being more like Christ by developing your relationship with God. There's also discussion or negotiation. To take action through your small group, for example. Or to have intentional conversation with your family or friends or strangers. To not ignore issues that come up but to seek to understand. This takes a lot of time and is the vital step after we gather information. 
because then we need to share it and learn from others through intentional, continuous dialogue. There's also direct action, which creates a creative tension for when people don't want to stay in those discussions. It's supplying this moral pressure on our opponent to work with you to resolve injustice. And we call this in the church accountability. And it is necessary, not just for justice, but for our whole spiritual life. For we cannot idly sit by and watch our siblings in Christ fall to sin. Then the fifth step is reconciliation. It is seeking friendship and understanding with your opponent above all else. Being willing to actively seek reconciliation by apologizing or being the first to speak when needed. It is not passively waiting on the other party, but taking the high road to being the good Samaritan. I never brought up skin color when I was describing my interaction with my neighbor. I'm sure that some of us have already made assumptions. But what matters specifically in the time around that break-in was how I responded. And my relationship with God played a vital role in this response. And now years later, looking back on it and speaking to you about this experience, I see flaws in my 17-year-old mindset and outlook and how I handled things. But I also see God at work. For example, pressing charges of something I regret. The anger and the rift that came between my friendship with his brother, I regret. And the outlook I had, the prejudice that I had after this was not from God. And I realized later needed to be redeemed. After the break-in, I was angry at him. I was sad because I felt like I'd caused it. And I felt violated as my trust had been broken. I wanted to know why. Not just why he did it, but what drove him to it. I talked with our mutual friends and found some underlying reasons that made me take pity on him. I did not know his struggles. And after these events, I sought reconciliation and forgiveness instead of retaliation with him and his family. And I wish I could tell you today that I finally got that chance to forgive him face to face. But I didn't. But I have forgiven him. But this did lead me to wanting to learn and know more about my neighbors and what they need and how to view them in a different way. And you see, as a white man in America, I had to be proactive in trying to embrace the cultures outside my own and trying to understand how to love all, all of my neighbors. It took time to come to this commitment. 
and even more time to gather the information and education that I got from friends, strangers, uh, through literature, movies, classes, all to help inform me in my actions and decisions, and that I still seek. Because I admit that I too am in a continuing process of learning and growing. And these steps of nonviolence and reconciliation are for you and for me. So I hope that you will join me in the next steps in our journey of being a beloved community, starting here at St. Stephen's. There is no quick fix, nor is there one single cause or march that will solve this. It comes from the sides seeking peace and love above all. And as the church, we are not called by Dr. King, but we are called by God through Scripture to live out that call of truth, love, and mercy now upon our neighbors. For eternity starts now, and justice Grace and love for all is what heaven is all about. Amen.